Welcome to episode 75 of the Rich Roll Podcast with James Altucher. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey people, welcome to the show. I'm Rich Roll. I am your friendly podcast host. Lots of incredible content out there. 250,000 podcasts, YouTube videos, Twitter, etc. So much content out there vying for your precious attention, compelling your ears and your eyes to pay attention. Uh, so I'm very appreciative that you guys are tuning in to this podcast, that you have chosen this one to listen to. I don't take it for granted, um, and I'm very appreciative of the fact that you are lending me your ears today. So this show uh, has enriched my life in innumerable ways. It's a lot of work, but uh, I really enjoy it, and it's definitely made my life better, and my hope is that it's doing the same for you. But I don't take you guys for granted, so thank you for tuning in. Each week, I bring to you the best, most forward-thinking, paradigm-busting minds in health, fitness, wellness, diet, nutrition, spirituality, creativity, and entrepreneurship. Today's guest is an entrepreneur, so that's on point. Uh, I deliver these conversations with the intention of giving you a toolbox, information, motivation, inspiration, ideas to help you take your life to the next level. And my goal is simple. It's just to help you discover, unlock, and unleash your best, most authentic self. Take what resonates with you, discard the rest, but use the tools that are speaking to you and implement them into your life. When I think about the guests that I want to have on the show, my focus is always on people that are asking questions, challenging the status quo, trying new ways, thinking differently, thriving on their own resolve, and searching for answers but always committed to helping other people. And uh, I think that in many ways, you could distill all of this down to a singular idea, people who choose themselves. And that idea, this idea of choosing yourself rather than waiting for the approval of a third party, whether it be a boss, a publisher, a network, an interviewer, a teacher, a parent, or whatever, any kind of gatekeeper or permission giver for that matter, is really uh, what and who today's guest is all about. So James Altucher, who is this guy? Uh, if you never heard of him, <laughs> it's difficult to even figure out where to begin. He's done uh, so many interesting things. He is extraordinarily intelligent, uh, incredibly engaging, very funny, entertaining, and an expert in so many disciplines. Uh, it's like where to even start. But uh, let me give you a list, I suppose. He's a hedge fund manager. He's an entrepreneur. The guy's founded or co-founded, I think, like 20 companies. He's a chess master. He's an in-demand public speaker, motivational speaker. He speaks on business topics, etc. And more recently, he has dipped his toe into the podcast world. He launched, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, maybe two months ago, uh, released his um, podcast upon the world, The James Altucher Show, and I think within a week of his first episode posting, it went to number one in iTunes of all podcasts. So, you know, that's a testament to how popular this guy is. Um, he, he brings some pretty cool, interesting people on his show. Uh, so I would urge all of you to check it out. You can find it on iTunes. Uh, he's a best-selling author. He's my age, but he's written 11 books, uh, some of them self-published, some of them with the big publishing houses, 
including uh, a book he wrote in 2011 called I Was Blind But Now I See Time to Be Happy, which reached number one on Amazon in the motivation section. Um, he's written a new book called Choose Yourself, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. But what I find really compelling about James is is what he writes on his blog. Uh, that's how I found him, and that's what keeps me intrigued and, and coming back uh, to find out what he's doing. It's a blog that, in the first year of him launching it, uh, amassed over 5 million page views, uh, and he's got like 290,000 Facebook fans. So this guy is, you know, got a big, big following of people that are really tuning in to what he has to offer. And what he has to offer, and I think why it struck a chord and why he has become so popular with his writing, is that it demonstrates an incredible authenticity and honesty. Um, I stumbled into it about a year or so ago, and and now I just e- eagerly await every new post uh, that he writes. I can't wait to read it. Um, and he's prolific. I mean, the guy's posting multiple times uh, throughout the week, very long blog posts that really challenge you to think about things differently. And his insights have been really invaluable to me. Um, But what really draws me in, the emotional connection that I have, is to his fearlessness when it comes to complete transparency. Um, It's not so much about his successes, but really about how he talks about his failures, uh, of which there are many. Uh, You know, whether it's a company that failed or a book that he wrote that nobody would publish or read, or even what it was like when he blew $15 million after he sold a company and had to ask his parents for money. Um, you know, he tells these these very colorful stories uh, with a technicolor verve and, and, and a sense of self-deprecation and, and humor that makes him really a pure joy to read. Uh, in essence, he is very much an expert in navigating rejection and colossal failure as much as he is an authority on how to succeed. And he is an authority on that. Um, it's unbelievable how much content this guy puts out. 99% of it is completely free and how available he makes himself to, you know, his basically massive audience. Uh, he does weekly Q and A's on Twitter. He answers questions on Quora he always uh, seems to be able to find the time to respond. And that is that is a testimony or a testament to an insane work ethic and an ability to focus uh, and an ability to engage in his passions. And those are all things that, that we talk about in this interview. His most recent book is called Choose Yourself, which I read and I loved and I got a lot out of it. It really resonated with me. And it's it's both motivational and it's and instructional. It's kind of a roadmap primer on transcending this um, kind of, for lack of a better phrase, slave master paradigm of our economy and system of employment, and really a call to action on how to configure a more meaningful life that's liberated from the so-called gatekeepers. And to kind of crib from his thoughts on the book and where he's coming from, uh, you know, the world is changing. Markets are crashing jobs are disappearing, and everything we kind of aspired to, uh, or at least the generation before us aspired to, things like security or a safe career, college, employment, retirement, government, these things seem to be crumbling down uh, in, in rapid succession around us. And every part of society, the middlemen are being pushed out of the picture, and no longer, you know, it's no longer the case where, um, 
someone's coming to hire you or to invest in your company or to sign you or pick you up. And more and more so, it's on us to make the important decisions in our lives, to choose ourselves, essentially. And this presents a great moment of opportunity, as it always does. I mean, destruction always begets renewal. And never before have we had so many amazing tools. I mean, technology has really given us the ability to transcend uh, these forces, to make it more possible than ever for us to create art, make a good living, or change the world without the quote-unquote help or permission. Um, opportunities arising all around us out of the ashes of you know this ever-so-decrepit uh, system. And we are more capable than ever of creating or generating real inward success, whether that's personal happiness or health or fitness, and translating that into outward success, careers, professions that can support our families, that are fulfilling, and that are giving back. And this book, Choose Yourself, is, is really kind of a, a primer on that. And James is a guy who sees and, and understands and can translate these life principles in a way that will really make you think, that we're, will challenge you, and uh, at the same time, completely entertain you. He's a really funny guy, and he'll make you laugh. So, so there you go. Uh, that's it. Let's just get into the interview. Um, I'm delighted. <laughs> I'm a big fan of this guy, so I was super psyched to be able to sit down with him. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I present you with James Altucher. Well, I've been a big fan of yours uh, for a long time. And, uh, you know, athlete aside, I mean, that's not what this is about. I, I like to just find people that inspire me in different ways. And you certainly uh, are at the top of that category. I've been reading your stuff for a long time. And, and then I go home and flog myself for not being as good a writer as you are. <laughs> no, no, I, w I wouldn't worry about that. Uh <laughs> You know, but it's interesting because I do read your writing and I find there to be overlap, actually, because when whenever you go through a transformation and you've gone through like your own series of transformations, whether it's a body transformation or a financial transformation, whenever you go through one of those, you learn from them and oh, you, you no can either question. stay behind or move forward. And yeah, it seems like you've been very successful at moving forward. Well, uh, I'm afraid to stop. I don't know what would happen if I stopped, so I'm propelled to move forward. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, um, you know, there's, there's, there's two contexts there. Like one is, are you afraid to slow down or are you afraid that if you stop, you die? Yeah, I don't, I, I'm not sure. My therapist might be able to answer that question. The, we'll, we'll put them I'll on. They should do a podcast time. together. Yeah, I know. Well, maybe we can uh, get, get them in on the conversation all together. Yes. We'll do that next time. Um, but I have this theory about you, and the theory goes something like this, that, that you have been uh, hibernating and meditating in a cave in the Himalayas for the, the last 20 years, and then suddenly you, uh, you appear in New York City with all this wisdom to impart, and it's fun. <laughs> it's, you're sort of like this, uh, this Yoda-like character imparting uh, Jedi mind tricks on people. Because I, I like that I, theory. Yeah, you do. Okay, we'll go with it. Um, because I'm attracted to to what you have to offer, not because I'm looking for financial advice or I want the five tips that are going to allow me to become a millionaire, but because 
um, of the honesty in your voice, the authenticity. And, I, and, and what I think is going on, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, is really what you're doing behind this kind of like veil of, of um, you know, sort of insight into how to be an entrepreneur or what have you is, uh, is really spiritual wisdom. I mean, that's kind of like you, you try not to highlight it too much or hit it on the nose, but behind everything you're saying, it all kind of begins and ends with getting right with yourself and, uh, and doing the inside work first as a, as a, as a preface to anything that follows. Well, I think that's very, I think that's very true. And I'll tell you, there's kind of a secret twist to it, which is that I think the word, the word spiritual, and we can think of other words like this. So there's words like spiritual, God, uh, religion, divine, meditation. All of these are sort of evil words. I don't, I don't mean evil like, you know, uh, Maybe evil is the wrong word, but they're sort of like ugly words in the sense that people say, oh, I'm not spiritual. I'm more scientific or I'm more rational, Mm -hmm. you know, as if spirituality is the opposite of a rational mind or God is the opposite. You know, you know, people think of God as like this old man with a beard, which they were taught when they were six years old. You know, I think that's the opposite of living a a rational, productive life. And that has nothing to do with productivity and, and entrepreneurship. But the reality is. To succeed, you kind of have to, and by success, I don't mean financially, I mean just in general, being a happy, uh, you know, self-reliant uh, person. But to succeed, you kind of have to know who you are. And that's at a very deep level. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. this is my address. It doesn't mean this is what I look like. It doesn't mean this is my weight or how much money I have in the bank. Who are you might be, uh, uh, is a very complicated question. And lots of people have tried to answer that through the millennia. And so what I do is I kind of take my personal story because that's the only story I can really vouch for. And I sort of run it through a filter of, you know, well, you know, based on everything I've read uh, or experienced uh, from others, uh, you know, particularly in this spirituality realm, you know, how can I translate that into my own experience without using words that scare people off like oh mm-hmm. you know chant in sanskrit and you're going to get these results well i, I don't want to do that i want to speak english and and i and i want to understand myself i don't want to uh sit like how they sit in tibet because it's very hard for my legs so mm-hmm. i want to do what americans do and what i do and and still feel like i'm moving forward and understanding myself so so you're right there is kind of a a spiritual backbone to everything i write and often I'll directly refer to texts written maybe 3,000 years ago, uh, but not specifically reference them because nobody wants to hear from them. They want right. to hear what the modern version is. And that's what I tried to talk about. Well, I think it's very astute and it, it makes your writing accessible to everybody. Whereas, you know, just, just the mere mention, like you said, of using the word spirituality immediately you know, bells go off in people's minds and, and, and they just tune out like they, they don't want to hear about it. But right, or, you or, have a way of getting that across without really, uh, you know, referencing it too directly. And I think it's very powerful. Yeah, thank you. And I and I agree because there's also there's also kind of a psychological aspect where if something resonates over time, then chances are it's touching something very deep inside uh, the, the human vein that runs through all of us so so for instance i'll just use a modern example take the take a song like the beatles song yesterday 
It's a very beautiful song. Most people like it when they hear it. Most people recognize it. Uh, take Justin Bieber. If Justin Bieber were to do a cover of Yesterday, it would probably be popular among both kids and adults just because it's already survived the test of time. It's been it's been a popular hit song for 50 years. So so Justin Bieber can piggyback on that and make a song that appeals to somewhat to adults. So by by referencing, let's say, texts written by, I don't know, I'll just use an example out of a hat, like Buddha or the or yoga or whatever that was written 2,000 years ago, by referencing some of these texts, but without um, t- saying Buddha said, you know, or Confucius said, you know, without specifically, you know, saying who said what and, and really translating it into the modern language, it's still going to resonate with, with everybody, just like mm-hmm. it did 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, I want to know where this all began for you. I mean, I want to talk about Choose Yourself. I want to talk about all the many, many things that you do in this sort of polyamorous kind of way. But, you know, what what kind of catalyzed your interest in in these sorts of things? Well, I've always been I've always been interested in it. So I've I, and I always think, you know, and I can ask the same question of you. Let me let me ask this of you. When did you become interested in becoming, you know, like an ultra athlete? Uh, well, I mean, that journey really was kind of forged out of the crucible of pain. You know, in my experience, uh, you know, I'm very reluctant to change at all. Like good habits, bad habits, whatever. It's not until I'm in a sufficient am- enough amount of pain that I'm willing to look in the mirror and kind of take inventory of what I'm doing. And, you know, I got to a place in, in my life where, you know, a couple times in my life, first through, you know, dr- drinking drugs and alcohol, where I reached a, you know, a point where that was no longer working in my life and I was in enough pain to, to sort of entertain a new way of living that was premised on spiritual principles. And then in my professional life, you know, sort of after, you know, recover, you know, well into recovery, kind of, you know, reaching a point where I was living a life I didn't want to be living and it became so intolerable to me that I had to figure out a way out of it. And for me, it, it, it all begins and ends with, you know, finding a spiritual connection to something as a lifeline. Well, and when you were a kid, did you have any, did you grow up under any discipline or? or? No, no. I mean, I was not the kid who's like, you know, sort of attracted to reading those kinds of books or or thinking big thoughts. I mean, we went to church, but it was really kind of more of a social thing. And and I never really connected with that. So it wasn't until, you know, into my 30s where this became something interesting to me. Well, it's interesting because I always feel some of our passions we plant the seeds when we're a kid. So maybe some aspect of what you do now, I'm absolutely convinced when you were 10 years old, you were kind of fantasizing about having a life around around some aspect of what you did end up doing. Because it does seem clear to me now that you're doing something you're passionate about. And I'm sure there's aspects there that, that date back, you know, 20, 30 years or longer. Yeah, most likely, I'm sure. I mean, and I think part of the the condition of uh, the condition of the alcoholic. I mean, there's there's plenty of people that say, you know, you're you're so uncomfortable in your own skin, you're seeking solace and answers in other ways, in unhealthy ways. But there's an there's an inherent seeking nature to that. I think that is somewhat applicable. Yeah, and so so when I was a when I was a kid, um, I was really interested in spiritual texts and 
but not but for very selfish reasons. I wanted to learn how to astral project, you know, which is this idea <laughs> that you can project your mind out of your body. Right. And so the Yoda, the Yoda thing is more apt than I might have originally imagined. Yeah, it could be because except for the fact that my entire goal was I wanted to astral project into the homes of my friends who were girls and see them naked. So <laughs> so I was obsessed with astral projection. I had like maybe 30 different books on how to astral project and I was trying everything. And you know, some of these techniques get very meditative because it was all these 1970s pop parapsychology books. And so what are they doing? They're stealing it all from essentially Buddhism and Taoism and types of yoga and and so on. So so they're almost doing the same thing of kind of taking these ancient texts and trying to bring them into this Western language. But I had a completely narcissistic, selfish reason for, for following uh -huh. them. But then I realized what the roots were, which were these, you know, texts like, you know, Taoism and Buddhism and the Yoga Sutras and so on. And so I basically went to the to the source and started reading them. And I began meditating on a daily basis. And this is at a very young age. Wow. And, um, uh, you know, then I then college would come and then I actually did finally get to see uh, a girl or two naked. So I lost interest in meditation at, the, at that point because relationships became much too complicated for, for me to handle, uh, particularly when I was being silent for an hour a day. And, uh, <laughs> you know, then I got involved in, in business and entertainment and all sorts of other things. I basically had a very varied career that's gone from one end to the other, you know, all over the place, from entertainment to business to writing and so on. But always there was this undercurrent of, uh, you know, always interested and open-minded in, in spiritual texts and, and reading about them and seeing how I could integrate them into my life, sometimes for selfish reasons. But, you know, as they say, God works in mysterious ways. You're never mm -hmm. totally selfish if you're trying to improve yourself because when you improve yourself, you also improve the lives of the people around you. And, yeah, for sure. And that's something that, that I've really learned from. But more recently, in the past, I guess it was like four years ago, I was not doing great. Um, I had been um, separated and then divorced. I had lost a home. I, my last few attempts at, at businesses didn't work out. My last few attempts at books hadn't worked out. I was, you know, where the world was going through a financial crisis, so... Uh, I was an optimist, so TV was no longer interested in having my pretty face on. And mm -hmm. so uh, I just started, I said, screw it. I'm just going to write what I'm, what's happened to me and what I'm interested in. And I don't care what anybody thinks. And mm -hmm. I integrated this in with my spiritual practice and my writing practice. And the result was both my blog and then my ongoing books and then um, blogging for other websites. And it's really built up a nice... Uh, presence across uh, the World Wide Web. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, your stuff is everywhere. It's almost impossible to avoid you popping up when I open up my browser. <laughs> You're so prolific in your writing, um, and it's your work ethic must be amazing because the, the you're con continually cranking out these blog posts that go viral. I mean, they've really struck a chord, and I think it really goes back to this issue of uh, honesty, authenticity, uh, and you know, really allowing yourself to be vulnerable in a way that that most people aren't. I mean, I think the the sort of podcast analog to that is uh, is Mark Maron. Have you ever you listen to Mark Maron's podcast ever? Oh yeah, and I've been I used to listen to Mark Maron when he would perform on Ludlow Street uh, in Manhattan back right. in 1996, and 
I'm, I'm an all-time fan of Mark Maron. Right. And so for people who are listening who don't know, I mean, he was at a real low point in his life where he just thought everything was over and everything that he had tried wasn't working. And, and, and honestly, and he, he, you know, sort of turned on his microphone in his garage and just started talking openly and honestly and allowing himself to be vulnerable because he didn't have anything else to do and didn't know what else to do. And I think that is, aside from the fact that he's, you know, hilarious, wildly entertaining and a, a fantastic interviewer, um, it's that uh, it's that vulnerability, I think, that's allowed his podcast to kind of, you know, ascend to the top of the rankings, why he's been able to find an audience. And I think that that is, you know, why your writing has really struck a chord with people. I, I think that's true because, um, and, you know, just to continue on, on Mark Marin let's say it was 16 years ago, 17 years ago, he wasn't as vulnerable. He was still funny. I mean, he was just as funny then as he is now. He's, his humor has matured, but uh, he was a he was a professional comedian then. But his his humor was much more angry and political and um, message-driven. And I think the vulnerability now stands out a lot more than it did then. And people relate to that because... You know, this is a hard world to live in. Like when I started blogging, you know, I was depressed. I was down like like bad things were happening and not just for me, but for the entire world and not just for the entire world that day, but for like a decade. Like there was the dot com bus. There was 9-11. There was corruption with Enron, WorldCom, housing bust, financial crisis, Madoff, mm -hmm. two wars like and it just kept getting worse and worse. And then I was thinking to myself, why, you know, when I started blogging also, I think even the stock market then was having a 20% or 30% downturn. And, um, you know, it just felt bad. Everything felt bad and I felt like nobody liked me. And so I, I found through writing that it didn't make the people, people still didn't like me, but suddenly, <laughs> I made new friends and it to again, totally self-serving. I kept writing because it was the only way I can reach out and touch people and have human connection with people who, who suddenly I respected, who respected me. And, you know, we, part of the, you know, two things that we very much want in life is, is love slash human connection and a sense of achievement. And suddenly I found that I was getting both of those. Now, I think there's a third thing that's deeper, which is to have kind of a spiritual connection to your, your deeper self. But, you know, that is like an ongoing process. Whereas mm -hmm. the, the writing for me was directly getting me this sense of achievement and, you know, feelings of, of whether they're false or flimsy or not, uh, feelings of, of love and attention from, from the audience, many of whom became my friends. Right. Well, it, it, it provides uh, a way for people to emotionally connect and relate because, you know, in the deep recesses of everybody's psyche, you know, they, we all share these feelings of fear and insecurity and vulnerability and, and we're just afraid to express them. And the courage that, that you demonstrate in, in doing that and being fearless in that regard is, is why it resonates. It's, just, it's the human condition. Yeah, it's the, it's the human condition. And so many people are afraid of it. I'll tell you two common comments that people have. People say, well, in order to succeed, don't you have to be uh, dishonest? You know, you have to be you have to be cutthroat. And of course, the answer is no. In fact, it's the exact opposite in most cases, you know, 99% of the cases. Another thing, question that people have is, well, how can you say all this? Won't people 
uh, hate you or won't people refuse to give you opportunities? And the reality is because people know um, impeccably honest, you know, and I'm stealing, stealing that a little bit from the book, The Four Agreements. <laughs> right. But uh, because I'm impeccable about the honesty and also I endeavor never to hurt anybody, um, people know that they can trust me. And that's given me more opportunities now than I've ever had in my life. And I've, you know, I've built and sold businesses. I've built businesses, sold them, gone broke, built again, sold them, gone broke, built again, and so on. But now I've had these opportunities that have been really kind of different in style because people are coming to me not because I can program something or do something very specific, but because they know I'm an honest, trusted source. And, you know, mm -hmm. I tell people quite honestly, if there's some other reason that they're interested in, in you know, hiring me for something or, or paying me money for something, then I'm not interested. I've, I've turned down many opportunities as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, in my own experience, when 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 I was setting out to write my book, at the same time that I got my book deal, I was made aware that uh, the most famous, accomplished uh, ultra marathoner in the world was also writing uh, his memoir at the same time, who also happens to be vegan. And I thought, well, who's going to buy my book? I've never even won a race. I'm I'm not nearly you know as accomplished as this other guy. Like, there's no reason to buy my book when you can buy his book. So why am I even writing this? And, and I knew I had this moment where I knew that the only way to do it, the only way that, that my book would work, um, that its success was inherently related to the extent to which I was willing to be vulnerable and honest and talk about things I wasn't proud of and, 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 and give it a human, you know, you know, give it the, give it a, a deep sense of the human um, condition and in hopes that somebody could sort of relate to that if they were going through a similar experience. And you know, that technique, and it's not a technique, it's almost sounds bad to call it a technique, but I'll call it that anyway. That works a hundred percent of the time. I'll, I'll give you two examples. So I, I don't know if you know Kamal Ravikant who wrote the book, Love Yourself. Uh huh. So Kamal calls me up. He had been sick for a while and then he calls me up and says, uh, I had this experience where I was really sick. I thought I was going to die. And from for a year, he was sick. And um, I just started saying in the mirror, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. And gradually, I stopped being sick. And that was the medication that worked. And I said, come on, you have to write this down in a book. And he said, well, no, I'm a little nervous what my venture capitalist friends in San Francisco <laughs> will, will think of me. And I said, Kamal, I don't even hit publish unless I'm afraid what everyone will think right. of me on this. I, I, I have thousands of posts that I've written because I keep the muscle going, but where I'm not really afraid to publish them, so I don't publish them. And so Kamal wrote that book and it became a bestseller. So it, it was great. So that was one example. Another example, I don't know if you know uh, Matthew Berry. He's a commentator on ESPN about fantasy no, sports. Mm -mm. He has a million followers uh, on Twitter and Facebook and so on. So he wrote a book, uh, The Fantasy Life. And he was saying to me, um, you know, there are plenty of people who knew more about sports. Like, for instance, ex-athletes know more about analyzing sports. Or guys like uh, Bill, Bill James or Nate Silver who analyze, you know, sports statistics for fantasy sports, they knew more than me. But so he said, and he's a professional writer, he had written on, you know, the, t the sitcom Married with Children. He said, I wrote, I 
took my own personal stories and combined them with my knowledge of my, I love fantasy sports, he said, and I mixed the two together and started writing and I built a huge audience, which, you know, he's built, he he created out of scratch a career being Mm -hmm. the the fantasy sports commentator in social media and on ESPN and everything. So that's the, the, the secret ingredient is authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I think you said uh, your quote was honesty drives success. It totally does. And again, it sounds almost selfish to say that, oh, he's just being honest to be successful. But, you know, I want to be successful, again, by being happy. I don't necessarily care what's exactly in my bank account as long as I'm feeding the people around me. I don't care. Uh, you know, I live very modestly. I don't own a boat or go on these massive vacations or whatever. I like to just read and write every day. Um, But uh, honesty has opened so many doors of success and it's opened the door into myself where I really am able to analyze or I hope on a daily basis, sometimes not so daily, but I, I really make it a practice to try to say what's happening inside of me that bothers me? What do I like? Uh, what am I growing from? And I try to then emphasize in my life the things that I'm growing from, growing from and the things that I like. I've heard you talk about how you start every day, or at least for a period of time in your life, you would start every day by sitting down and, and just writing ideas out, as many ideas as you could think of in a given period of time. Yeah, so so uh, this started, uh, I mean, I guess I've always been kind of doing it, but it really started as a daily practice in 2002. Uh, I was, it was another time when I was, it was, the, it was the first time I was really dead broke. Like I had, I had, had sold my company in 1998. I had made millions of dollars. I was like a drunken rock star. I bought like this huge place. I did everything mm-hmm. wrong. I invested in all these crazy businesses and I just essentially lost everything except the f- except the things that I had to pay enormous monthly uh, expenses for like like my house. So I was losing my house and I didn't have any friends, coworkers, family, nothing and I didn't know what to do. I really thought I was going to have to kill myself because I had my life insurance policy was so much greater than what I was worth at that point, and I had two children. I really thought it would be much better for them if they benefited from my life insurance policy than by having uh, their father around. I figured my my you know wife at the time could get remarried, and they would have a father that way, and they would have the benefit of my life insurance policy. Oh, <laughs> James. So so I you know I don't know what stopped me, but I started every day taking a waiter's pad and going to a local cafe at like six in the morning. I would take a bunch of books with me. I'd read from the books to get different ideas. So I would have like a spiritual book. I'd have a book about games because I always love games. I would have a a good, well-written like fiction book. I'd have a nonfiction book with me. And then I would take out this waiter's pad and waiter's pads are great because you can't like write a novel on them or anything. You have to just write lists basically. They're made for lists and they're cheap. You can buy a hundred for 10 cents each. And I started writing lists of ideas. So I'd write lists of ideas for businesses, lists of ideas of investments, lists of ideas of books I could write, lists of ways I could surprise my wife. And I always had to do at least 10 because 10's hard. 
Like you're, you know that feeling when you've like run a bunch of miles and then you're like, oh, I can't do this anymore. But you know you're gonna get that that that's the point where if you keep on running, you're gonna、mm-hmm. get huge benefit. So yeah, you that's, always that's where the rubber meets the road, and you really exercise the muscle. Exactly, and the same thing happens with ideas. People don't realize this; they understand it with like legs. Like if you don't use, your, if you're in bed for two weeks, you'll need actually physical therapy to walk again because your leg muscles will have atrophied that quickly. Well, the same thing happens with the idea muscle. If you don't use it for two weeks, it's your idea muscle is going to atrophy, and you need. To exercise it before it actually works again, before you come up with good ideas. So every day I come up with, you know, ten to twenty ideas. I write them down,、uh, and、uh, you know, I, I continue that. And when I've stopped doing that, which I have during this past decade, I've always gone broke afterwards, without、mm-hmm. fail. If I stop writing ideas down every day, within about a year, I'm broke. And、yeah. so I really will right now. Because of that practice and and several others, which which we can discuss,、um, every six months my life is completely different than it was six months earlier. It's just amazing, and、mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for that. And what is it? What is the relationship between the ideas that you write down and the ones that you implement or you take action on? Almost nothing. the The、mm-hmm. real goal of writing the ideas down is just to to.、Uh, Exercise that idea muscle because if you think about it, if you write twenty ideas a day, that's over seven seventy five hundred, you know, ideas a year, and you're not gonna maybe you'll execute on one or two of those, you know, or I don't know.、Uh, so the power is what then? The power is just in in developing this muscle for the imagination. Yes. So so and it's amazing. It's not because. Yes, you'll come up with great ideas for businesses during this process. But even more than that, people come to you with a problem, and you'll have ten ideas for them. Like you, you become an idea machine, or you, you get your car will will run out of gas in the middle of the desert, and、uh, you'll have ten ideas on what to do there to get to to get to safety. So、mm-hmm. you you just have ideas all the time. Like everything I'm doing, I I feel flooded with ideas, and I'm really. Grateful for that. Like that, more than anything, has been this massive boon in in my life. You know, it helps in any、mm-hmm. situation. Valentine's Day can't figure out what something unusual to do, so I'll、uh, come up with ten ideas there. So just every day, there's a new situation where I try to apply this this muscle, and then throughout the day, I see myself using it. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. I I interviewed、uh, the filmmaker Casey Neistat the other day. Do you know him? Lives in New York. No, he's a big I... like YouTuber. He makes amazing,、uh, amazing videos. He just did this one where he's snowboarding all over New York City during the snowstorm last week. That、oh, kind of went crazy viral. Anyway, he was. T- we were talking about ideas, and he said. I don't care about ideas. People come to me with ideas all the time. I'm not interested in ideas. Ideas are easy. I'm interested in execution. Well, it's interesting because、uh, idea. So again, coming up with seventy five hundred ideas a year could be easy if you're good at exercising the idea muscle. And then, like I said, you're not gonna execute on hardly any of them. Maybe you'll execute on one or two of them. So when I'm in execution mode, like when I'm th- coming up with a list where I think you know I might want to execute on some of these ideas, I always make two columns. And so on one column will be the ideas. And on the other column is the next step. And now most people get very scared of the next step,、uh, but 
I will disagree a little bit with Casey, and I'll say that execution is, is somewhat easy because all execution involves is knowing what my next first step is. So I started in 2006, for instance, a business called stockpicker.com. And it was like a social media site for people interested in stocks. And I built it and we got up to a, a million or so visitors a month, maybe maybe more. And then eventually I sold it to thestreet.com. But my next step was simply specking it out, saying this is what the front page looks like. This is what it looks like after you sign in. This is what a portfolio page looks like. This is what a message uh, looks like. And so mm-hmm. I just specked out every page. And that was my next step. And then my next step after that was... Go on elance.com, uh, find, uh, you know, put up put up the spec, uh, find software developers in India, hire one. So that was my next step after that. And so, Right. I mean, that just speaks to goal setting in general. Like you establish this crazy difficult goal, whether it's, you know, building a business that you're going to sell to a larger business or running a marathon or something that's out of your comfort zone and then breaking it down into stepping stones that are digestible. Exactly. Like you, you know, I will use the example. Dorothy had no idea what she was going to find in Oz. She had no idea how to, how to, what she was going to encounter along the way, who she was going to encounter along the way. She didn't know anything. And often on the way to Oz, many things happened that sort of almost took her off her path. But she did know she had to take that first step on the yellow brick road. And it's the same thing. You don't know where your business is going to go. You don't know where you will end up in six months. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be completely different than you predict because we're horrible predictors of our own future. But you do know what a good next step is for your life. And that's all we ever really need to know. I might be dead tomorrow. I don't live life as if I'm going to die tomorrow, which is a common cliche. But, you know, I do know that all I really need to focus on today is what the steps are today. I need to take care of myself today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, speaking to your life, I mean, we, we both grew up in a time where you sort of you go to school and then you get a job. And if somebody says, you know, what do you do? You have a very specific answer to that question. And when I look at your life, you've done so many things. It's impossible to sort of quantify or define, you know, what your profession is. I mean, you're a VC, you're a hedge fund guy, you're a writer, you're a blogger, you're an author, you're a novelist, you're an investor, you're a public speaker. You're now a podcast host. Yeah. Why'd you have to? Why'd you have to get into podcasting and ruin it for all of us by going straight to number one and taking all our traffic away from us? No, no, we're we're, <laughs> we're all gonna share traffic no, around, so yeah, it'll yeah, be yeah. all good. But yeah, uh, I I don't know. You know, I I I it suddenly appealed to me. Oh, chess master too. You know, yes, chess master, which is uh, one of my one of my funner activities. But with podcasting, I figured this could be a lot of fun. I can basically call up. Anybody I want and talk to them for an hour and 50,000 people will listen to it or however many people. And so I suddenly figured, okay, let's try this out. So I started it and I called up these people that I didn't even expect they would return my calls. And suddenly I'm, I'm having fun talking to, you know, Matt Barry, the ESPN fantasy sports analyst or Wayne Dyer, the, the biggest uh, spiritual author of the past century. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or Tucker Max, the exact opposite of the biggest spiritual author of the past century. <laughs> so it was, it's been a lot of fun so far. The second it's not so much fun for me, I won't do it anymore. 
Right. Well, it is super fun. And, and it, you know, I think that it's a little bit of a it's recapturing a lost art form, the, the you know, the, the art of the long conversation, which I think is wonderful and why people are gravitating towards podcasting more and more. Um, but also, you know, I share that it's like I have this great excuse to have these amazing conversations with people that inspire me. And, you know, how else would I be able to have that in my life? I mean, it's enriched my life tremendously. And, and the, the idea that other people are listening to it is is just a bonus, really. Yeah, it's it's a really great thing. But that's why because people are listening to it, that's why many people are coming on, you know, but I, I'll give you an example uh, back in the mid '90s, I was uh, I pitched HBO on this idea. I said you do original, the best original content on TV. Um, let's do original content on this new thing called the internet. And they barely even knew what the internet was then. And um, they said, okay, well, what should we do? And so I pitched them this idea of a web show, uh, and I called it 3 a.m. And it was me. Uh, wandering around the streets of New York City on a Tuesday night, it had to be a Tuesday or Wednesday night, interviewing people I would randomly find at three in the morning. Because, you know, honestly, Rich, if you were outside, uh, you know, in, in New York City in the East Village on a Tuesday night at three in the morning, there's usually a a reason for it. And it's usually not a very good reason. <laughs> yeah. Like there's usually something very yeah. uh, secretive or insidious happening. Yeah, and I've been it, in that situation. Yes. So, so this was a great way. Uh, and I was a shy person. This was a great way for me to just walk up to anybody and say, Hey, I'm with HBO. It's three in the morning. And I really want to find out why you're here right now. And of course I would, you know, just like my astral projection story, I really wanted to talk to, uh, you know, women, and it was good practice uh -huh. for that. But uh, I ended up talking to, to, I spent three years doing this, and I ended up talking to all sorts of people, men and women, uh, just fascinating from, from all walks of life that I never would have spoken to otherwise because they were asleep from, you know, mm -hmm. 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. It was only at three in the morning they would be out. Mm -hmm. And what happened with that show? Did it ever air? How many episodes did you tape of that? Well, I did uh, about 130 episodes on the internet, maybe a little more, about, oh, about 150 just... episodes on oh, the internet. Oh, for HBO.com? Yeah, for HBO.com. Mm -hmm. And then I did shoot it as a pilot, uh, which never aired, but I shot a, an hour-long pilot, um, which they decided not to air. But, you know, shooting the pilot was a, was a fascinating experience for me. I, I loved every minute of it. Like, I would say right. that was one of the, the, the best work experiences I've ever had in my life. Right. So you're working in television. You've done so many different things, which kind of brings me to this, this idea of Choose Yourself, the, the book that you recently put out. And, and this, the, this idea of this new era that we're living in right now where, where the gatekeepers have been removed and we have this unprecedented capacity to redefine ourselves or to define ourselves differently outside the boundaries of kind of um, what society has always sort of uh, set up for us. Yes, and, and you know, it's interesting because two things have really happened that, I, that make this what I call the choose yourself era. Uh, which is well, that, maybe just explain that explain you know the the idea behind the book the kind of thesis yeah so the, the thesis is that essentially in in this day and age you have to choose yourself to succeed so you have to basically you can't rely on your education you can't rely on corporate safety anymore like like it's it's no longer the case that you go from cubicle to side office to corner office to executive to private jet like these things don't happen anymore or or they're they're happening less and less 
and you have to you have to develop your own innovative ways to develop a career. So, for instance, like how you're developing this podcast and your products and your your own um, audience and brand is around you. You're choosing yourself, Rich Roll. Mm-hmm to have a career and you're selecting what that career is. Nobody is giving you a career. No one's saying, Rich, I need a new brand manager for my toothpaste. Uh, Can I hire you? You would say no because uh, you would say, I'm Rich Roll. I've chosen my own career and that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And it's just going to keep building and, you know, in a little cycle up and down and so on. But, but I'm choosing myself to have a career because not because you'll be necessarily more financially successful that way. You might or you might not, but you can't really trust any other situation. Like the world turned upside down in 2008 and 2009. Everybody got fired. Everybody who thought they could trust their corporate masters got fired. And so the trust went away and you have to, it's sort of like you have to choose, you have to develop this choose yourself career in order to trust that this is the actual safest way to go. The other thing that happened was, is the technology is finally here. You and I can have a podcast and 50,000 people can listen and you know we can do this without the intervention of a radio station or a TV mm-hmm. network or a music label or a book publisher. We can just do this and upload it into the cloud and people will download it because they want to hear what we have to say, hopefully. And uh, you know, it's the fact that these middlemen are disappearing that has created enormous, enormous both distress from the middlemen who are being fired and opportunity for the people who are taking advantage of it and the individuals who are choosing themselves. And so the mm-hmm. Choose Yourself book is basically how to do it, interwoven with with my story, interwoven with also some of these spiritual concepts that we're talking about where it's not like you have to pressure yourself to be, you know, the number one guy in the world at something, you know, your authentic your authenticity and you mentioned this about your book, your authenticity is what makes you the number one you in the world and the book discusses that as well. Mhm. And and uh this idea of removing the gatekeepers and not having to ask permission, right? Like whether you're writing a book, you've written 10 books, how many of those have you self-published? Right. So so I've written um actually, you know, and I, I believe it or not, I lose count which is which is weird, but I I I I believe it's about 11 books and about 5 or 6 of them I published with a mainstream publisher like Penguin, HarperCollins, Wiley, uh and 5 of them I've self-published and I can tell you I've made a lot more money from the self-published book than from the published books. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's interesting to look at the statistics now. There used to be this stigma, oh, he self-published because he couldn't get a big five publisher to publish his books. That stigma is over. You have people like, you know, Hugh Howey, who published the, the science fiction classic, Wool, totally self-published it. He self-published all his books. They're, they're bestsellers. They're brilliant. They're great. Uh, Teresa Reagan has sold, you know, half a million copies of her thrillers. E.L. James, Fifty Shades of Grey, whatever you think of the book, she initially self-published that and sold a quarter right. of a million books before a publisher paid her a big amount to, to publish it. So, you know, the, the gatekeepers... Oh, you know, and then let's look at the music industry. Macklemore is obviously the best example. That guy refused every single record label author and offer and still does. And his, he's got like, I don't know, 600 million views on his YouTube videos that he's, he's, he sells out at all his albums. Like the, 
he he's he's totally chosen himself and completely skipped the gatekeepers. Now it took him ten years of hard work to do it, but you know, as he puts it, it took me ten years to become an overnight success. But that's that's also part of having a choose yourself career. Mm -hmm. And I think the idea when you really embrace this notion of choosing yourself, it really expands the horizon in the sense that you don't feel the pressure to define yourself by any one particular thing. Like, you know, we both have podcasts, we've both written books, but you're doing all sorts of other things that in their own right could be considered a singular career. And I'm doing similar things. And, you know, when you're at a cocktail party and somebody says, what do you do? It makes it difficult to answer that question. But it's also kind of awesome to not feel like you have to limit yourself to one thing as your profession. Yeah, it's true. You know, like, what do you say at a cocktail party? When so I, I have no idea Honestly, how to no answer idea. this question. Yeah, like when you have to fill out that form when, you know, every once in a while that asks you what your career is, I write something different down every time just as an exercise in creativity. Yeah, you know, you know, like when a cab driver, say, asks me what I want to do, I always <laughs> say um, what I initially was, what I went to school for, which is I'm a computer programmer. So that's what, that's what I say. Um, but, you know, recently um, a company uh, asked me to be on their board of directors. So when they asked me what I do, they, they, so the other board of directors are interviewing me. And so when they asked me what I do, well, I'm on the board of directors of a billion revenue public company um, called Corporate Resources. We, we hire, you know, millions of people indirectly and uh, outsource them to Fortune 100 companies. So that's another thing I do. Mm -hmm. um, or I'm a writer or a blogger or podcaster or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it kind of it dovetails into uh, something that I've been sort of studying and looking at this whole world of like internet marketing. You know, the choose yourself ethos, uh, you know, sort of requires everybody to be their own personal brand and to kind of effectively market and build their own audience. And when I look around, you know, at the resources that are out there, I read all these blogs and, you know, look at what other people have to offer about how to build your audience and all of that. It, you know, I try to take the wisdom behind whatever's being offered, but at the same time, I can't help but getting, but, but become getting turned off at times because I feel like there's this sort of um, really hard pitch on, you know, buy now, get this free and these sales funnels and all this kind of stuff that reeks of a lack of authenticity. I mean, what is your sort of take on, you know, what you see out there and what people are trying to kind of push and promote when it comes to getting people to buy into kind of all of these these techniques? Because for me, it's just about the quality of the work. Like I just focus on the work and yeah, I want to have an audience, but but I'm not willing to kind of involve myself in all this sort of pseudo trickery to get there. Yeah, it, it's very interesting because on the one hand, I'm fascinated by by marketing techniques because, um, you know, you use a good word, pseudo trickery, uh, because it's it's trickery, but not quite. And the reason I say not quite is because it has a very strong evolutionary psychology bent. So, for instance, why do um, why are testimonials so important in marketing? It's because 400,000 years ago, when you were in a tribe of just 30 people or 30 chimpanzees or whatever, uh, you know, you relied on the social testimony of the other chimpanzees. Oh, this fruit is good. It's not poison. So it's acceptable for you to eat. So there's these strong evolutionary psychology beginnings of every single uh, internet marketing technique. 
100% of them all come from um, our evolutionary tendencies. So an, an entire part of my work is to kind of move past evolution so we can see who we really are rather than what our chimpanzee brains tell us we are. And so I, I think a lot about these techniques and try to make sure I'm not manipulated by them. But at the same time, you know, when you're trying to sell your products, you have to say, well, you know, what works and what doesn't work. And so I agree, the most important thing is having a good authentic work. And so that's what I focus on. I feel that's what my job is. And then mm -hmm. if I work with a publishing company, a publishing company is gonna use their sales funnels and they're gonna use their techniques. Some of them will work because they understand these techniques. Some of them won't work because they're not really that familiar with these techniques. And mm -hmm. I leave it up to them to, to market my stuff. But again, I'm, I'm more fascinated by what can teach me to say no rather than rather than automatically saying yes so who is trying to trick me who is trying to manipulate me how can i use that and teach the readers not to be equally manipulated so you'll see there's many programs out there you know here's how you learn how to be an internet millionaire all of that stuff's interesting and teaches these uh techniques but i'm more interested in how to say no to those people because mm -hmm. I want to learn how I'm being, how my chimpanzee brain, my animal brain is being manipulated in ways that I don't approve of and what, what comes from a deeper core inside of me. Right. I mean, what would be a good example of that if you could think of one? Well, like, uh, uh, you know, again, this idea of social proof, uh, which is, you know, using testimonials. That's why Facebook works on advertising and, and has very high conversion rates. Um, another one is, a very interesting one, is the word because. So if, if you use the word because uh, in a sentence, people are likely to do what you said. So if you say, uh, buy, my, buy my product because it'll make you healthier, people are more likely to buy it than if you just say, buy my product. <laughs> and, but here's the interesting thing. If you say, uh, buy my product because you should buy my product, that is equally as good as buy my product because it will make you healthier. So you didn't even give a reason. You, you gave what's called placebic information. Your information was a placebo and still it has the same statistics as the, the more useful because and both of them are 50% higher conversion rates than if you didn't use the word because. Why this is, I don't know, but it's been like tested all over the place. And why, uh, does, that, why does that leave me despairing for the human race? Yeah, it's, it's despairing for the human race, but it's, it's, it, at some point it was a survival technique which allowed us to, to evolve. And the people who didn't pay attention to because died out and their descendants don't live anymore. So, mm -hmm. so some, some aspect of that turned out to be very important to us in our evolution as a species, um, but I don't know what that is. So, so the key now is though, is because we study these techniques and, and combined with studying spiritual techniques of mindfulness and heartfulness and so on, the things that you talk about in your blog, uh, you know, because we're aware of these things, I think it can lead us to a higher understanding of who we are as as humans and as and as beings. So we're humans and then we're beings and then we're human beings. So understanding all three of these factors of what makes our entire lives uh, is very important. Speaking of you being sort of a creative being, I, 
I get the sense that you're somebody who's not overly precious with your work. I mean, you're putting out so much content all the time and you make yourself so available to your followers uh, that it kind of reminds me of, of a principle in Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art, which I'm sure you've read. Yes. yes. Okay, so there's that famous story in this book, which it's essentially a primer on, on unlocking your creativity for people that are listening who haven't read it. I strongly suggest you check it out. For, uh, no I matter, do too. No I, I think that book and Turning Pro are, are really brilliant books. They're amazing books, but there's that, that sort of famous story in there that I'm sure I'm going to botch in my memory. But it goes something like, you know, somebody who toils endlessly on, on their book and you know, turns it in and is finally ready to rest on their laurels and just sort of gets the response of, good, you finished that? Okay, now what are you writing now? Like just always moving forward and not not sort of clinging onto the past or, or being too precious about anything that you've done. Just this constant propulsion of forward momentum. I think, I think um, three things. One is, uh, yes, as soon as I finish something, I move on to the next thing. So last night I finished uh, a book that I'm writing, uh, co-authoring with my wife actually, called The Power of No. We finished mm -hmm. the final rewrites. We handed it in. Um, and Is today, that going to be self-published? or No, actually, actually, this is the first time in five books um, I'm using a publisher called Hay House, and mm -hmm. I like them because they have a very strong um, author a readership of people interested in spiritual issues, self-help issues. I don't think any of the major publishers have very strong um, cohesive readerships, but Hay House does. Yeah, now, they do. They also really support their authors quite well. Yes, it's a, it's like a family, uh, their authors. They have conferences, they have webinars, and I, I think their marketing is excellent. I don't think the marketing of any of the major publishers is good. Now, I'm going to self-publish in between then and now, and, and now, and after that book comes out, I'm going to self-publish again. And we're just doing that as an experiment. But I started work on my next book today. So I'm always moving forward You're in that me sense. You me feel terrible about the one book that I wrote two years ago and, and still haven't moved too far forward on my next one. Well, but that's okay. You do, <laughs> you do other things. Like I literally, uh, I, I, if I don't write every day, it's like you with running, I'm sure. If I don't write every day, I get stressed and I feel bad and, um, and I, I don't like it. I really love to, to write. So, so I write... I write every single day. But as far as being too precious, I probably rewrite about 10 or 20 times for every single blog post that I put out mm -hmm. there. Rewrite even from scratch. Um, so I feel much better. A lot of people tell me, oh, I write a thousand words a day. I don't care about that at all. Like uh, if someone tells me, oh, I cut out 400 words a day, that's impressive. So I always try to cut out like 40% of everything I write and then I feel mm -hmm. really good about it. And then I publish it. And again, using the check, you know, I check the box. Am I afraid to publish this? Yes, hit publish. And then I move on to my next thing. The mm -hmm. final thing I want to mention is on Stephen Pressfield himself, his most successful book, The Legend of Bagger Vance, totally, without mentioning it at all, totally is a rewrite of the uh, three thousand year old text, the Bhagavad Gita, uh, and uh, he knew that something that resonated for three thousand years would be a successful novel now, and so he doesn't mention it at all in the book. But every character is based on a character in the Bhagavad Gita. Everything that happens is related to an event in the Bhagavad Gita. It's completely a rewrite, and he knew on purpose that that would propel it to success, and he was correct. Mm -hmm. And. It the other thing, too, is 
that strikes me about how you approach your writing and your blog is this tremendous degree of availability that you make yourself available to your followers. You do this weekly Q&A on Twitter and you have this sort of question and answer section to your website and you engage on a very deep level whereas it would be very easy for you to just write your posts and you know not really engage at all. And so what is the what is you know where does that come from or what's going on with that? Well, I I think part of it is selfish in that you know, I like the human connection of talking with people and, and being with people. And the other thing is, I just like, you know, a lot of people are in great pain right now um, because of various reasons, whether it's economic or personal or social, whatever. And I like to kind of, um, I don't know, and it, it, maybe it's egocentric of me, but I like to help if I can. And I always start off by saying I'm not qualified to help anybody, but... If there's an opportunity where I can help or give my opinion, then I'm happy to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, it definitely comes through. I mean, there, there's the, it, again, it goes back to authenticity. I mean, there's a very genuine, um, you know, feeling that you get that you really are there. You're being of service, and it's that spiritual equation of you know when you're when you're truly in service, which I think it, you are. Um, you know, that that comes back to you tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. I, I, I agree with that, that you, you, um, you know, I have a, a technique in, um, in my next book, The Power of No, which I'll, I'll describe on, on right now. Yeah, um, what is the, what is this about? It, so, so, so The Power of No is in general about how we learn to say no in our lives. And by saying no, we accumulate a lot of power. But in, in but I specifically address I have one chapter which addresses the so-called law of attraction, where if you have uh, positive thoughts, then miracles happen in your life. And you, I have no opinion on that. You know, I do think miracles happen in life and I do think it's better to have positive thoughts. But what I, I recommend one exercise, which I call the reverse law of attraction, which is that. I'm going to do everything that the law of attraction says. I'm going to think positively and I'm going to give it up to the universe and then I'm going to do the best I can to live my life well. But any miracles that are coming to me, I want them to go to somebody else. I, I, I practice thinking that I sincerely hope that these miracles go to people who are better served for them. And I think that that actually is a much better generator of goodwill, goodwill and real massive miracles in life that, that you almost build up, build up this karmic bank account uh, that, that, you know, has infinite ramifications in your, your, your later life or even your later day. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's, that's, that's what I call the reverse law of attraction. And I find for myself, it works very well. So it's that kind of uh, give at every level that I think has, has really big benefits. And and is this is this the subject of the power of no or I mean what is the the general kind of overarching thesis of this book? Uh, the general thesis is that there are many layers of no. There's the kind of no where somebody wants to put your hand on a fire and you say no. 
There's the no where someone invites you to a wedding in Australia and you say no. And these are hard things sometimes to say no to. Um, but that, that's at the basic level. Then there's the kind of what I call the evolutionary no, um, which we discussed earlier. There's all these ways which we've survived as a species that we no longer need now. So, so, and yet marketers still use them to manipulate us. So you learn to say no to those. And then mm -hmm. gradually you get into more spiritual no's where there's lots of noise. There's lots of negative chatter in your head all the time and learning to say no to that. And then finally learning to say yes to a deeper silence that actually becomes very fulfilling and it's it it, it bec does become a power uh which you could use and that's why i call it the power of no mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think the power of sort of living well begins and ends with your health and your wellness and in a true in the, in the truest sense meaning a balance of mind body spirit you know emotion all of these sorts of things have to be firing you know on all cylinders and they have to be in proper proportion and balance with each other and if you don't have that like if you don't have that first then how do you know that these impulses that you're having are going to be sending you in the right direction so when someone comes to you and says james i want you to teach me how to start my own company or i want you to teach me how to make a million dollars i would imagine your question to them is well why do you want that like well let's 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 step back and figure out what's going on with you, what's driving you right now. Because if something is out of balance, then whatever kind of messages are impulsing that person to move in a certain direction can't necessarily be trustworthy. That's exactly right, Rich. Uh, I mean, I always tell people, you need to take a step back first and do what you write about in your, in your blog very much, which is make sure are you physically healthy? Are your, is your heart healthy? Like, are you emotionally spending time with people you, you love and respect uh, and who love and respect you? Are you mentally healthy, which is what, what I was talking about earlier with the idea muscle? And are you spiritually healthy, which I can translate into, you know, are you grateful for the things that you have in your life? And if you have these four things, then, and you build a solid base of that with a daily practice of those, daily practice of those four things, then and only then can you start to think, well, uh, how can I make a million dollars or how can I get the woman of my dreams or whatever? Mm -hmm. uh, right. And then, and that allows you, I think, to really embrace this choose yourself uh, kind of time that we're living in right now in terms of, you know, where you want to invest your energy. Like where is, you know, what is the direction that, that you want to go in? Um, I've been listening to uh, Brett Easton Ellis's podcast. Have you, have you checked that out yet? No, but I didn't even know he had one. I got to uh, yeah, listen yeah. to that. Yeah, you should. He, he's, he's pretty cool. He gets some great guests on there and he's, he's endlessly fascinating to me. But anyway, he, uh, he sort of couches it. I mean, his, he talks about a very, a very similar thing to you, but instead of calling it choose yourself, he calls it uh, post-empire. He's like, we're living in a post-empire culture right now where all of these rules that used to kind of guide and govern us are, are kind of out the window. And it's a revolutionary time where we can um, you know, embrace new ways of, of living our life and, and making a living. And we don't have to be shackled or limited by these gatekeepers. And whether you're a filmmaker or you're a writer or whatever it is that you're pursuing, um, there's a certain freedom that can be terrifying at the same time, which I think makes it all the more important that you're spiritually grounded and that you're, you know, emotionally intact and, and spending time with people that are of a, you know, high vibration, et cetera. It's really true because when you do a choose yourself career, as I'm sure you've realized and, and you've even written somewhat about it, it's, there's ups and downs. Like no matter what, 
you're going to, you know, fight every demon you've ever had in your life. And uh, uh, being able to deal with that requires, you know, training and strength and strength at every level, not just physical strength. And it's hard, but yeah, but, it's but it's also necessary path. now. Yeah, it is the warrior's path for sure. And you will meet your maker and you'll work harder than you ever have. But there's a, there's a level of satisfaction and joy in that, that you just you'll never get being in a job. But sure. it's not easy. Like, look, in a job, I never would have gotten to talk to you for an hour about all these different things. <laughs> yeah. This is this has been great. It's fantastic. Um, one thing I want to talk to you about uh, before we close it up is um, is some of your thoughts on education. I mean, this is something that's going on with my family right now. We're we're homeschooling all four of our kids. Oh, and, that's great! Uh, Congratulations. Yeah, is- I I wish I could do that with mine. Like mine, I tell them, let me homeschool you, but they never they don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. Oh, ours ours wanted it. <laughs> they were they were dying for it. Um, but it's 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 frightening. You know what I mean? Because it's not it's not what I was raised with. It's not what I know or what I'm used to. And I I believe in it. And I'm seeing the results as my as my kids get older. I can see the difference. And I know that we're doing a good thing, but it's also very frightening. And I wake up in the middle of the night, you know, am I doing the right thing? I don't want to screw my kids up. Uh, you're uh, definitely doing the right thing. If it, if my testimony to this means anything, not that I know from experience, because I don't do it with my kids, but I see how poor the traditional educational system is. And it's just, it's really heartbreaking to me, actually. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't know what it's like where you live, but it it has quite a bit to be desired out here. And I'm not in a position to, you know, spend the kind of money it would require to go to a fancy private school. And uh, I I don't... They're worse. The fancy private schools are worse. Yeah, I went to one of those. I know what that's like. Um, But our oldest is uh, is 18, and he decided not to go to college uh, this year, and he's working, and he's also serving as my podcast producer. He's been doing a great job. Wow! Um, But um, but I've 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 read some things that you've written and heard you interviewed about your opinions on college, you know, whether not to go to college at all. um, You know how times are different now, or at least the idea of considering delaying the the prospect of going to college. Yeah, I think, look, right now, as an example, MIT offers almost 100% of their courses online for free. Like the videos, the tests, the homework, the you know the extra readings, uh, their entire college is online for free. Now, and yet people still want to spend $200,000 to go to MIT when they could have it for totally for free. So... You know that people will argue. Oh well, it's a lifetime. It, it's it's the experience of a lifetime. You meet such great mm-hmm. friends. My feeling is, you don't. A young eighteen-year-old does not need to spend two hundred thousand dollars to make friends. Like they'll probably figure out how to make friends for for cheaper than that. You know, whether it's two hundred thousand or a hundred thousand or thirty thousand, it still doesn't cost that much to make good friends. Second, um, people say, well, oh, you won't get a job if you don't go to college. That's just not true anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, fif- more than 50% of the unemployed don't have college degrees for the first time ever. And this is at a time when they're also graduating with a trillion dollars in student loan debt for the first mm-hmm. time ever. So we don't know what's going to happen. This is a disaster that you have a, you have a trillion dollars in debt being held by unemployed people. So it's just a disaster waiting to happen. Second of all, you know, or third or fourth, whatever number we're at, 
you, your, your son, he's a, learning how to be a podcast producer. He's going to learn so much in the next four years of actual real world situations that will help him make money, that will teach him, that will make him friends, that will build him a network. And when he's 22, he's going to have a skill set and a network that every other graduating 22-year-old is going to have to spend the next 10 years trying to get. Uh, because, you know, just he's this is the prime of his life when he could learn the fastest, when he could learn the most. And they're, you know, most college students, they don't remember anything they're learning in college. I, I often get well, they ta- certainly they're certainly not teaching you how to be an entrepreneur or to think creatively for the most part. And I think we're increasingly in a skill based economy where it's a very specific skill set that is going to get you hired or not, not what school you went to. So, for a- example, absolutely. if you know how to use Pro Tools or you know how to use Final Cut Pro and you can edit a movie, you're more likely to get a job doing that than, you know, a liberal arts degree from a college, which, you know, doesn't guarantee you much of anything, I suppose, anymore, or at least not what it used to. No, it doesn't guarantee you anything. Like, uh, people, you're right, people are hiring for a skill, not for a piece of paper. Uh, you know, in, in if someone says, oh, what if you're going to be a brain surgeon? Okay, well, then... Well, that's different. Yeah, that's different because the law requires you to have gone to school. But I would rather have someone who didn't go to school but has conducted a thousand brain surgeries than someone who went to Harvard. <laughs> so it kind of suggests that the, an apprenticeship system would still have worked better than what the law prescribes. But okay, you know, for some things you need a, a degree by law. I will tell you, I've, you know, speaking of the law, I've spoken um, at many legal conferences. I have consulted to law firms. Uh, you know, if you don't need a law degree to know the law. You don't need a, a medical degree to heal people. You don't need a computer science degree to program a computer. I mean, I'll give you an example. I went to undergrad and graduate school at some of the best schools for computer science and computer programming. Then when I actually had a job at HBO, actually was my first kind of quote-unquote real job, my programming skills were so bad that they had to send me to a remedial school <laughs> to learn how to program. And I had just studied, you know, in undergrad and grad school, five years of programming and had jobs as programmers in the yeah, school. Yeah. It was, but I couldn't program a real computer in the real no. world. I mean, I went to law school and I enjoyed law school, but I, it, it didn't spend, there wasn't too much time spent on the actual practice of law or what I was going to be doing day to day when I got to that big corporate law firm. And I had to learn all of that when I got there. And there's an expectation when you arrive that you already know how to do all these things. And I didn't know the first thing about it. Yeah, it's it's really sad, the divergence between um, traditional education and what you actually need to, to, to learn to enjoy the world and also what you would enjoy to learn, you know, to have fun on the planet, which is what we're here for. Right. Well, I think we need to get back to more of an apprenticeship type economy. You know, I mean, Hollywood store, sort of still works that way. And I think it functions well that way. It's very much a meritocracy in that sense. And it has been. It's, it's never been a place where it relied on the, the piece of paper and where you went to school. It was all about your work. And no matter who you are, whether you went, got an MBA at Stanford, you still, started in the, you still start in the mailroom. Right. And, you know, uh, every choose-yourself career 
doesn't need a college degree. So doing these podcasts, we, we there, there is no degree for podcasting. Doing no, a, do, there isn't not. Doing a blog that well, maybe we should pe- create one though, and then charge people a lot of money to teach them how to podcast. And Sa- then you could give them a piece of paper. Right. Sadly, people will take that course. Yeah. So, but you know, like no, you don't need a degree to have a blog that has millions of readers. Like these are things that you're going to earn on your own and through through trial and, and tribulation and and everything. So. Uh, you know, I agree. I, I agree with your approach to homeschooling. I'm glad your 18 year old is not going to college. I can't think of a, a better way to start life. Well, I'll let him know. He'll be happy to uh, to hear you say that. Excellent. As he as he produces this podcast. Exactly. When he's listening to this, maybe I won't tell him. I'll just let him hear it when he listens to the show. That's great. All right. So I'll let you go in a second. But the the last thing I wanted to to kind of ask you to kind of um, top it off is, uh, you know, what would you say to somebody who's listening to this who, who is in that cubicle and feels stuck and feels, you know, like a prisoner in a life maybe they didn't choose and, and really can't see their way through it and who's saying, well, choose yourself, that sounds great, but, you know, I can't do that and I've got kids and I've got a mortgage and I've got to, you know, pay the bills and, and uh, you know, maybe in the next life. Yeah, sure. I agree with him. Maybe in the next life, uh, you know, I don't say that in a, in a bad way. The next life could be right now. You kind of have to take, again, that step back and say, okay, well, am I writing down ideas of other things I could be doing? Am I making sure I at least walk 20 minutes a day and I'm eating healthy and I'm sleeping well? Am I happy with my current relationships? Am I grateful for everything I have? Am I grateful that I have a job, for instance, you know, as opposed to always complaining about my job? This is the beginning of how you start to to choose yourself. And, you know, then I would suggest, you know, ways of being mindful. For instance, when you take your 20-minute walk, uh, let's say you live in a city, look at the rooftops. Often people just, you know, are glazed. Their eyes are glazed and they they mesh with everybody in the, in the crowd on the sidewalks. But take a chance to, to look at the rooftops around you. It's often where the architect gets to uh, do his flourish after he's finished building all the floors and, and see the artistry in, in the life around you. And that begins to kind of awaken these, these brain cells so you can um, start to see your way through this choose-yourself life. Mm-hmm. I think the more that you can kind of embrace mindfulness as a way of living on a daily basis, that will unlock a certain part of you that you can then begin to explore. So I agree. It's not about going into your boss's office and and just quitting that day. It's about starting to put the pieces together about what you might be passionate about. Because I think that most people, we're in a a culture that, that compels us not to look inward. And so a lot of people, myself included, you know, for many, many years, I, I didn't know what I had to offer. I didn't know what would make me happy or what I was passionate about because I was so disconnected from myself. So it's been many years of doing that exploration to kind of get from that place to where I am now. Um, so it's not about, you know, an overnight thing. It's a, it's a journey that you decide you're going to undertake and you begin to implement these changes slowly over time that, that aggregate and move you in a new trajectory so that five years later, you're in a very different place. That's a, that's a really important point. It's the small steps. It's that first step on the yellow brick road. Like you can say, oh, I can't, I got the bills to pay, I got the mortgage. That's all true. So just take a small step today. That's all you can do. Mm -hmm. All right, man. Thanks, James. 
Thank you, Rich. Thank you very much for having me on the show. <laughs> I really appreciate the time. So uh, for people that want to check out James, uh, the best way to do that is to go to jamesaltature.com. Yes. Right? And uh, jaltature on Twitter. Yes. Where else? Uh, choose else? Yourself. The book Choose Yourself. Yeah, of course. Is that, is that a website too? or No, just on no, Amazon. Just that. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Uh, use, the, use the Amazon banner ad at richworld.com. Buy Choose Yourself, which... I don't know that I mentioned. I love that book. I just read it on the plane um, to New York the other day. Oh, and, excellent. Uh, it was, yeah, I just breezed through it. It's fantastic. It's definitely a primer on, uh, on how to implement change into your life and improve the quality of your life. I recommend everybody pick it up and check it out. So thanks, James. I appreciate it. Thanks, Rich. All right, everybody. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. Like I said before, I've been a big fan of James for some time, so it was a real treat for me to get to talk to him. And uh, I hope you feel the same. I hope you got something good out of that. Uh, before we close it out, a quick announcement. I said it last week. I'll say it again. On a future upcoming episode, I am going to give away five signed, personally inscribed paperbacks of Finding Ultra. How do I get one? Uh, well, send me a question you would like answered via my website. Uh, don't do it on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, if, if you do, um, I, I, it's harder for me to organize everything. So send me an email through my website with a question you'd like answered on the podcast. I'm going to pick five of those. I'm going to read them uh, on the show uh, and, and do my best to answer them. And then I will uh, award you guys with the five people that I pick <laughs> with, a, with a personally inscribed copy of the book. Um, so do that. I'm not sure when we're going to record that episode, but probably sometime in the next two weeks or so. Also, a couple appearances coming up. If you want to come and meet me in person, hear me uh, give a talk. All that information is on my site at richroll.com. But uh, to recap, April 1st, I'll be at Colorado College speaking uh, at the school there, which will be cool. April 30th, I'm going to be in Burlington, Ontario, not Vermont, Ontario, uh, speaking at the Performance, Performing Arts Center uh, for an event being hosted by Advika Health. And then on May 2nd, in London, Ontario, not London, England, London, Ontario. Uh, Julie and I are participating in the Holistic Health Diary retreat uh, with the two girls from the Holistic Health Diary podcast, Jillian Manbeck and uh, Ange Peters. So that's going to be cool. May 4th, I'm doing another event in Toronto. I don't have the details on that yet, uh, but I should very, very soon and will let you know as soon as I have a website uh, on that that I can share with you guys. I uh, want to support the show. Of course you do, right? Best way to do that is to use the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com. Just click on that. Go to Amazon. Buy whatever you're going to buy. It does not cost you a cent extra, and Amazon kicks us some commission change. And that helps us pay the bills. It helps me pay Tyler, my son, to produce this podcast. So like I said before, you are supporting youth and entrepreneurship uh, when you do that. And again, it's, not, it's nothing comes out of your pocket. So it's a great way to support the show. But the best way to support the show is if you've been enjoying it, just tell a friend. That's it. If you want to go to the extra mile, you can donate to the show. You can subscribe on a weekly or monthly basis. Uh, and throw us uh, whatever dollar amount you feel good about. Uh, and that's all up at richroll.com. So um, that is the best way to do it. If you want to learn more about getting plant-based, 
you're plant curious, you want more plants in your life and in your diet, uh, you can check out our ultimate guide to plant-based nutrition. That's up at mindbodygreen.com. It's a three and a half hour uh, online course, three and a half hours of streaming video content. There's an online community, there's downloadable tools, recipes, shopping list, all kinds of good stuff. A free copy of our uh, Jai CD cookbook. Um, questions on the forum where we can interact with you and uh, yeah, should answer uh, most of your questions about how to implement this way of eating into your lifestyle. Uh, of course, go to richroll.com for all your plant power provisions, lots of products there to take your game to the next level, including our newest offering, our t-shirts, our plant power t-shirts. Uh, those seem to be really popular and I'm so pleased. So wear your uh, affiliation with this lifestyle proudly. Um, and as always, you can read my musings on my blog at richroll.com, like me on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and YouTube. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm just at richroll, pretty easy to find. And that's it, everybody. So I'm out of here. Thank you so much. Have a great week and choose yourself. You're worth it. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Peace. Plants. Yeah.